Hey, good morning. Uh, I need to begin, first of all, uh, thanking you. I, I, two weeks ago, I asked you to pray. I was heading to Kenya. I was sick and, and uh, didn't want my head to explode on a plane. So thank you for praying. My head is intact in and I was able to be uh, healthy, got uh, rid of my cold and everything really quickly, I think, through your prayers. So thank you for that. Uh, I think you also heard I uh, lost my luggage um, on top of that. I didn't lose my luggage. I, I did. I lost like some of the gifts we were taking, things like that. Our team, uh, many of them lost their luggage. I mean, imagine being in Africa with one set of clothes for like six days until they got their clothes. So I had to share my underwear and things like It's not as weird as it sounds. They were clean in, the, in my suitcase to other people. But uh, thank you for praying. Um, also, I need to just pass on to you greetings from uh, our brothers and sisters in Kenya. Everywhere I went, it was, a, it was fascinating. Everywhere I went, people said, uh, we pray for you. And I don't know if you realize it. They've already met for worship and they... They, they prayed for you today. They're praying for us. I, I went into this one, I, I can't even call it a house, but I guess that's what it was. It's a hut. It was sticks and manure. Um, and so it's just, women build these little places to, to live in. And so it's just, uh, imagine like a little stick fort and manure wrapped around it kind of for shelter. And this little widow that's in there, there's flies. Every, I mean, it's just, I've never been in just in, in such poverty before. And I'm sitting in this little, this little hut with this woman and she's like looking at me and smiling with her missing teeth and stuff saying, you know, we pray for you. I pray for you and I pray for Rose and I pray for Beach Point. And I'm like, Lord, you, I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised anymore why there's such favor on our church when there's these little widows in these poop huts that are praying for us. I mean, it just, it, it just blew my mind how good God is and how generous he's been to us. And so greetings. Everyone said, please, when you go on Sunday, send our greetings to your church. And so I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's pray. So Lord, we pray. Uh, would you fill our hearts with faith and remove cast away all fear, our fear of discomfort, our fear of, of the cost we have to pay uh, to live for you, the consequences, the, uh, the fear we have of failure and, and, and others' expectations. Lord, all these things, may they melt away as we sit in your presence. We find confidence uh, through the life of Moses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When was the last time you faced one of your fears? Uh, I, I was thinking about this question, and my mind always goes back. This is, this is the last time, but I, the, probably the most prominent time. Uh, I was three years into being the youth pastor here, and we used to do this event where I would take uh, our junior class on a team-building trip, and I'd take them to this ropes course. And we went to this ropes course, and I, I'd done some ropes course of elements before and things like that, but I'd never been to this one. And we went to this new ropes course, and at this ropes course, they had this uh, uh, element called the centurion. Now, the centurion's exactly what it sounds like. It's a hundred-foot tree. You climb a hundred feet high, then you climb out on a diving board and you jump a leap of faith to a trapeze par that, that's about six feet away. And so we get there, I'm looking at this and I'm going, wow, that is crazy. And none of the students will do it. So at 25, thinking I'm pretty macho and whatever, I'm like, okay, guys, I'll show you how to do it. And I, I'm still thinking I can show off in front of the kids. And so I start to climb up the tree. And, I, and about, at, about 20 feet up, I started to have recollections of when I went on a 30-foot high tree and how scary that was. So by foot 31, I start panicking. I'm about 50 feet high, and I'm, I'm starting to weigh the consequences. 
how much will I lose by giving up right now? Like how much credibility, street cred will I lose by giving up right now? And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. So I keep climbing. I literally get to the top of the hundred foot tree. And of course the tree at this point is like swaying. And I'm just like, and so I, I kid you not, this thought came in my mind. I'm going to die in front of my students today. But at least they'll bond together. And so the, 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 it, it will work. The team building will work. I climb out onto, I, I, I kid you, I climbed out and I, I'm hugging the diving board. And I'm like, I'm never letting go. Like, I'm trying to think, how will I live up here? How many days can I stay here? So the, the, of course the worst part is, now you have to kind of like surfing, you have to kind of push yourself up, stand up, get to the end of the board, and get to the end of that. So just trying to stand up when, if you fall, you fall to 100 feet of nothingness. So I'm standing up, I get there, and then of course now you have to jump to a bar. And so I'm, I'm thinking, it. I'm like, okay, here it is, here's where I die. So you can kind of see it right there. And I leap, and I jump, and I, I've never clutched anything tighter in my life than when I grabbed that bar. And then, of course, you hear the two worst words that you want to hear in that moment, which is let go. Okay, so you have to just let go and fall down. And you can see it's all safe. There's ropes. It doesn't it doesn't play with your head well, though. Right. It, it, I mean, it's it's complete fear. So I, I, I descend gracefully like Peter Pan down to the bottom. And as I get to the bottom, I just play it as cool as anyone. Like, oh, guys, that's so easy. You guys can totally do this. And I'm just, I'm like, my heart, even like telling the story, my heart's like racing a little still. That was 20 years ago. I don't ever remember being so afraid, so paralyzed by fear than that day. Uh, It's fascinating. There are... There are two fears. There's, all, there, there's, seven, there's several thousands of classified fears and phobias, but there's only two that you're born with. One is the fear of falling, so back off, okay? That's, that's, that's it. The other is the fear of loud noises. Uh, but every other fear is learned. And if every other fear is learned, then every other fear can be unlearned. Now, it may take some work and it may take some time, but every other fear in our life can be unlearned. And the key, I think the key that we'll see ultimately of unlearning these fears is learning to, as we'll see in Hebrews 11, once again, as we've been seeing, is learning to live in the presence and the love and the nurture and the power of God himself. If you keep growing in your relationship with God, then all that's left to fear in this world is God. And we can have that holy awe, that, that reverence of him. And so throughout this series, think about this. We've been inviting you to take three leaps of faith. We've been inviting you to take a, a, a leap to grow, to chase after a promise of God, to chase after some form of life that he wants for you, for your character, for your development, an act of obedience that he's saying, look, trust me, come with me on this path. And I promise it will, it will make you into the person you've always been, I've always dreamed you would be. Uh, we, we've been challenging you to take a leap of faith, to sow with generosity, to, to make a gift, to, to make a pledge, to, to, to invest in the future of our church and where we're headed, uh, to take a leap to go. As you talked about last week, the idea of, of joining God in his mission, that, that what you begin to discover is you hear God call you to say, hey, join me in this. And what you realize is God's already at work and he's saying, hey, I want you a part of this work. Now, I, you can't see it all, but just trust me, if you'll come in this, we're going to change the world. 
And in all these, these moments, all these leaps of faith, uh, there's fear. There's fear involved. We have to face our fears. It's easier to stay in the safety of where we are. But I love the way that Mark Batterson writes it in his book, The Grave Robber. He says, many of us fail to achieve our dreams or experience the miraculous because we're more focused on not falling than on taking the first step. Most of us sense this calling from God. We hear this voice, but we're so afraid that if we take that leap, we'll miss the bar. And so we stand on that, on that diving board, paralyzed with fear, and we, we just, we're content to just live in this place instead of going to that next place. And today I want us to look once, uh, one last time at Hebrews 11. And my hope is that you'll be encouraged by Hebrews 11 and, and this one picture that we're going to have as we look at the life of Moses. But I want to give you a big idea. It's, a, it's simple but not easy. And here's our big idea. The daring faith helps us overcome our fears. And I want you to watch in three separate moments. This, the, the life of Moses is big and there's so much we could talk about. We don't have time. But I just want you to see three moments in Moses' life where his family and where he made choices. And as, as we see each time, it was a decision of daring faith. And each time that act of faith was an act to overcome fear. And I, I hope that as we walk through these things that you will see in your own way how you now can go from here and make your own uh, decisions of daring faith to grow and to sow and to go. Uh, one writer says it this way, uh, uh, that one doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. And, and I know for us, uh, the, the shore feels good. And there's contentment here. But, but you, you hear the, the voice of the Lord, don't you? In your life, you're hearing his call. You're hearing his beckon to you to say, come. Come into the deeper waters. Come to these new shores with me. And to do that, we're going to have to overcome our fear. And so uh, Hebrews 11, we're going to look at verses 23 to 29. Uh, and if you have a Bible, if you don't need to have a Bible, page 12, 13, the Bible in front of you. Uh, Hebrews, we're going to walk through this kind of verse by verse. But this is, the, we're going to look at the beginning of the life of Moses. And the life of Moses comes from the second book of the Bible, which is the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is a story of God delivering his people out of slavery. So as, as the people of God had multiplied in Egypt, they came under kind of a, a, an oppression and, and they were forced into slavery. The story of the book of Exodus is exactly what it sounds. God bringing them out, bringing them into freedom, taking them, a, a vision of, of bringing them to a promised land. But it does not come without acts of daring faith all along the way. And we're going to look at just a few of the beginning acts of that story uh, so let's, let me start with this first idea, this first uh, uh, element to our, our daring faith. By daring faith, number one, we can overcome our fear of consequences. Our fear of consequences. Every, every decision, every crossroads that we come to, you realize there's consequences on either choice, on either side. And, and many of us, again, we stay paralyzed or we, we're afraid to go down the, the path we know we should because we're afraid of the consequences that we may face along the way. And I want you to see right from the beginning of Moses' life uh, how daring faith helps us overcome this. Verse 23 begins this way. By faith, 
Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, so what's happening here? So what we know is this, is that when you see the word king there, it's speaking of the Pharaoh or the king of Egypt. And the Israelites, as they become so numerous, they'd come under uh, the rule of Pharaoh, the Pharaoh uh, realizing that these guys might figure it out, that they're outnumbering us, they'll revolt. And so there was a... Uh, an edict that came that they were to, that basically any male baby was to be killed. But Moses' parents were not afraid of this. And although Pharaoh had ordered the execution of these children, they made a decision that they would hide their child. They ignored the king's edict. They ignored the call of Pharaoh. They stood up to the Pharaoh. And, and, and now you have to understand something. It doesn't mean they weren't afraid that there was a lack of the emotion of fear. But rather what it's saying here is that they refuse to shrink and, and make the right decision because of that emotion. That they choose, even though they felt that emotion of fear, they chose to do the right thing. They weren't afraid of the consequences that may happen. Now, why did they do this? Um, why would they stand this? Think about this. You and I, first of all, you and I are going to have to, in our own lives, we're going to have to stand up to our own 21st century pharaohs. There are our own moments where we're going to have to make decisions of what is good and true and right. And to, and to stand against that pharaoh, to stand against that pharaoh in our life is going to require uh, a faith, daring faith. Why did Moses' parents do this? It says in the text that they saw that he was no ordinary child. They saw that he was no ordinary child. And what the wording means here is that they saw that there was a unique calling on the child's life. Now, any of you who are new parents or you've had a kid before, you know what this, this is, right? Like every parent looks at their child and says, the most, this is the most beautiful baby in the whole world. Now, Sometimes that's true, and oftentimes it's not. Um, I was actually clinically, like, when I was born, my mom told me this when I was a teenager. She goes, do you know when you were born, they actually put a picture of you in a journal of how ugly a baby could be and still turn out normal. I'm like, wrong part of my development to tell me this story. Like, every parent thinks the world of their kid. Every parent thinks their kid's going to grow up to be the president of the United States. So we look at this and go, come on, right? Every mom, you know, uh, is going to think this a special calling. But there was something, what the text is saying is this, is there was something that the parents felt that this child, that God was saying, I have something special for this child. Take the risk. Trust me. Hide the baby. Trust me. I will protect you. And they chose to stand against the Pharaoh. They chose to fear God rather than to fear the Pharaoh of their life. Uh, these last 10 days uh, when I was gone, I had the chance to be in rural Kenya among the Maasai people. I think there's a picture of, of uh, a Maasai woman. And the, the, the Maasai people uh, ruled eastern Kenya for, for generations. They, uh, a very significant tribe. They're now one of 42 tribes that are in Kenya. But among the Maasai, there is a tradition. And the tradition is this, is that when a young girl reaches puberty, she goes through a ritual. And this ritual includes female castration. And as a result of that, she is then uh, under the care of her father to be given away in marriage, often to a man his own age or older. And, And usually to become the third, fourth, seventh, eighth wife of that man. 
You and I look at that and go, that's crazy. That's not still happening in the world today, right? It is. And uh, in our church, uh, we have a a, a woman named Rose Secuda. And uh, Rose is a quite, she's, I don't know how to say this better. She's, she's an absolutely incredible woman. Um, if you can do nothing else in 2016, invite Rose to your house for dinner and ask to hear her story because she is unbelievable. And you would never know it. She's the most humble, unassuming woman there, there probably is in our church. But Rose became a Christian in 20 years ago, uh, around 20 years ago. And Rose, as her conviction of, of her, her own tribe's tradition, Rose instead said, this is not right. This is not of God. And she began to be a voice and began to be an advocate for these girls. Now, this was not a popular thing to say and not a popular thing to do. In fact, she was telling me how one time she was on the radio and she was, she was sharing how, uh, about this and how this, this, this ritual needs us to end. And, and, and her, her neighbors uh, rushed to her house and, and to her family saying, do you hear what your wife is saying? You need to stop her voice. I mean, the, the pharaohs of her day were all around her telling her, stop speaking up. But Rose felt, Rose did not fear the pharaohs of her day, the elders of her tribe. She only feared God. If there was a, a poster child for daring faith, it's Rose. It's not because of Rose's education or political clout or power. She simply just believes that this is God's call on her life. And she believes that God will get her through it. And everywhere we went, I would meet people who would say, they were talking about Mama Rose and how Mama Rose had changed their life. And, how, and I'd meet moms and they would cry and they would say, thank you. And they would hug her and, and they would say, Beach Point means so much. You're sponsoring our daughter. And they would cry and they would thank me and say, you guys have been so generous to us. And Rose began to set up the ability uh, for girls to go to school. And as the ability to go to school, then they could avoid this ritual. And, and, and so incredible things are happening. It is now illegal in Kenya for this ritual to take place. Doesn't mean it's not still happening, but it's now illegal in the country. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> On top of that, uh, Rose has provided the opportunity for many girls who never would have the opportunity. And there in Kenya, you have to pay to go to school. Um, it, it's, it's like private school here. And so many do not have the, the funds or ability. So Rose found ways to, to find support, to get support for girls. So one of the most fascinating things that happened was I met Mercy. What I mean is this. I don't know if you've ever been out in our lobby. There's a sign that says, meet Mercy. I got to actually meet Mercy. She showed up at a dinner one time. I'm like, hey, I know you. You're like a celebrity at our church. And she's like, what? And I'm like, there's pictures of you. So Mercy starts telling me her story. And she's looking at, and she's talking to Rose. And she's saying, Rose, you have no, like, you saved my life. Like, Mercy, when she was a teenager, her father was ready to give her over to a man his own age. Uh, she was going to go through it. Mercy, through the work of Rose and, and, and through the work of our Beach Point Women's Bible Study, uh, they put her through nursing school. Mercy is now a nurse in a refugee camp with Samaritan's Purse Ministry. And, she's like, and she was sitting there, she's looking at Rose, and she's got tears in her eyes. She's saying, you changed my life. I'm living my dream. I want every young woman to live her dream. And I'm like, yes, let's do this. Like, ah, I'm ready to run through a poster and like fight for everything. I mean, it was just so awesome to see it firsthand and see everything that was going on. But as I looked at all this, I I realized uh, here was someone who was willing simply by faith 
to stand against the consequences and say, I will fear God and no one else and do the right thing. And as a result, I, I, I know this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but I, I tell you, if you could see it, you would you, you believe it a little bit more. Rose is like, she's like a Martin Luther King to her tribe. I mean, she is bringing freedom to where there's oppression in ways that, that I don't know that would happen apart from God's work through her. It is an amazing work, and she's an example to all of us to trust God and to stand with God and to fear God alone and not the Pharaohs of our life. Through daring faith, we can overcome our fear of consequences. The second I want you to see this is that we can overcome our fear of discomfort. Notice the, the passage goes on and says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. In the story, we, we find that not only did Moses' parents hide him, but remember, they placed him in a basket. They placed him in the reeds in the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter found him. She adopted him. She took Moses into her family. And as a result, being adopted, he grew up in royalty. He had legal status as part of the royal family. He had wealth. He was educated. He had power. He had status. He had privilege. He had all the things we all fight for and we all dream about having. And he chose to give it up. He chose to give it up. He had seen his people mistreated. And something inside of him said, I'm going to stand with these people instead of his adopted family. And that at that choice, it was, there's this tremendous cost came to him. The loss of wealth, the uh, relinquishing status, uh, intense mistreatment alongside. And, and notice what Hebrews says. Why did he make this choice? Why was he willing to take on the discomfort? It says that he was looking ahead. He was looking ahead. He didn't look at the present suffering as much as he looked ahead to the future reward. We can look at Moses and say, Moses, how in the world did you give up millions of dollars? How in the world did you give up royalty? How in the world did you give up privilege and comfort and pleasure? I mean, that's what we're all chasing after. And he would tell you, look, what I gave up was nothing compared to the reward that I believe is coming. All throughout the New Testament, all throughout the scriptures, the church would always remind each other of this, this truth, and we need to be reminded of it as well. And Apostle Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He said to the Corinthian church, he says, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that will far outweigh them all. So we fix our eyes on what, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All throughout the scriptures, the encouragement to us as the church is this. Do not fix your eyes on today's comfort, but fix your eyes on tomorrow's reward. On Fix your eyes on what God is planning for those who will trust him. 
Look, I, I know we're asking a big commitment of you. On March 6th, we're going to ask you to, to make a, a, a generous gift uh, or a pledge or both. And, and, and to be honest, this will be uncomfortable. That I don't know there's any way other than to prepare you to say that this will be uncomfortable because you will take resources that you have and you will give them away, which means it will put you in a more vulnerable position than you had been previously. It will put you in an uncomfortable position. But here's the thing. Many, many of us think this way. Someday I'll get to that place where I'll be in a more comfortable position and then I can make a sacrifice and then I can be generous. Let me tell you the truth. The truth is, statistically, and study after study shows, among Americans, that is absolutely false. The wealthier we get, the less generous we become. In fact, what we found today is this. The studies show that Christians today generally give about 2 to 3% of their income to the cause of Christ. There was a day in the church where it was very common for the people of God to give minimally 10%, the first 10% of their income to the work of God and the work of ministry and the work of the church. But now the statistics are very, very real to say we give 2 to 3%. And the truth is, the wealthier we get, we might give bigger gifts, but we give a smaller percentage of our income, a smaller percentage of our wealth. The, the thinking that someday I will get to a more comfortable place and be able to give more away is just not true. At some point, you have to make a decision to be uncomfortable in this life for the sake of the future, in the sake of the things that God is doing. So let me tell you, this has been the verse. This is the verse that helped uh, Kimberly, Kimberly and I. Uh, last night, we made our, our pledge and our commitment um, and it's, it's written to the, the church at Corinth, and it's about a group of poor Christians called the Macedonians. And Paul says this, he's telling another church, he goes, I want to tell you about this church down, down the way. And he says this, these people in the midst of, their very, of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Notice what he says. He says, the Macedonians, they, they, he goes, aren't you challenged by these? Here's these Christians. They're poor Christians. But they decided to live generously. They gave what they could, and then they pushed themselves even beyond that. So we looked at this passage, and we, we kind of thought this, and we've been talking, and we've been praying. We've been going through kind of the, the page 11 and 12 that's in the brochure. We've been thinking about what, what, what will we do as a family? As we began to talk about it, we realized where we thought we were able. We looked at the little grid on the last page. Here's what we think we're able to do. And we realized this is going to be a stretch and it's going to be uncomfortable. And then Kim kind of pushed me. She says, that's what we're able to do. But what's, what would faith look like? And we realized faith would be go to the next spot. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how we're going to do that part. But I'm with you. I think that's what, I think that's what we see in this passage. Not just what we're able, but what would take us to that next place. And we prayed and we've talked and we, we decided together, one heart, this is where we're going to be. And we don't know how, but we expect it to be uncomfortable at times. There's things we're going to give up as a result. But we also know that the promise of God is that he'll be in it with us. And we believe, most of all, that this is something that is for, the, we see the future good and the good not just for us, but the good of what God is doing through Beach Point. 
Uh, For some of you, this is going to be a wonderful legacy gift. This is going to be something that maybe you won't even see the way it completely, uh, God does all the things he does, but you'll see in some ways that just the power, you just know by faith that God has great things in store for Huntington and great things in store for here and great things in store that we haven't even dreamed of yet. And so as you consider this, I just want to, I want you to, to realize this gift, this pledge, this is scary. It's uncomfortable. But daring faith we see, Moses was willing to say, look, it's not about rich and wealth and comfortable. It's about, he could see forward, he could push forward and say, it's about what God wants to do. And I want to encourage you as you spend this time in these next couple of weeks thinking through and praying through, I just want you to listen to the Lord and walk in faith with him. Daring faith helps us overcome consequences and discomfort. But one last thing. Uh, Daring faith helps us overcome our fear of others. Our fear of others. The passage ends, he says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of, of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Moses had a, an incredible challenge. Uh, God had called him to stand before the Pharaoh and demand, let my people go. And, and as we see through that whole experience, he was, it was incredibly intimidating for him. He didn't think he was the right person. He didn't think he was the right. He knew how intimidated it was to stand before the Pharaoh and the fear of him and, and everything that goes with that. But it says that, that Moses was able, it says that he looked. It says in verse 26 that he looked. And what it says he looked, it means that he fixed his eyes on something other than the Pharaoh. He fixed his eyes not on the others that were critiquing him and threatening him. He fixed his eyes on something else. And he fixed his eyes on the ultimate, not the immediate. He lived by faith on what he could not see. And as a leader of God's people, think about this. I mean, he had to lead them through this whole Passover ritual where they took this meal and they, they placed the blood on the doors. I mean, again, we saw this with Noah. Out of holy fear, this, this obedience to incredible detail. And it was important uh, for that to happen. And then God said, if you'll, if you'll follow me in faith through this, this crazy ritual, which I know it sounds strange, but just trust me on this, I, you will leave tonight. And they did it. And by faith, God took them out in that period. Well, the moment that they thought they were free and as they're out, Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends a violent army out to destroy them. Remember, the people of God come. They're pinned in. Water on one side, violent army on the other side. What do you do when you're pinned into that moment? But once again, we see that Moses chose to have faith. I love what Exodus 14 says in that moment. I, I, I just think it's, it's almost the most strange instruction you could possibly imagine. Imagine being there with your family as an army is coming to slaughter you. And you have nowhere to run because you're pinned in by this giant body of water. And Moses said this to the people. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Then look at verse 14. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
Can you imagine that? If, if, if you're going to tell me anything to do, tell me something other than to be still and do nothing and trust the Lord. But that was the instruction. And then you remember as Moses, the staff and the sea goes and they pass on dry land. By faith, they walked across the dry land. Moses chose not to be afraid of the others that were threatening to him. He fixed his eyes on the one who could deliver him. And God did the miraculous. He did the impossible. He's the God of miracles. There's times when we stand up for God, and it means that you're going to be mistreated or put in an uncomfortable situation, but you fix your eyes. You fix your eyes. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to give you a question for reflection. I want you to think about the unique way in which God has been speaking to you and calling to you to, to grow and to sow and to go. I want to ask you, what fear is keeping you from trusting God and stepping out in faith? Can, can you name the fear that's keeping you from growing? Can, can you fee, name the fear that's keeping you from the idea of sowing with generosity? Can you name the fear that is holding you back from joining God in the, in the adventure he has for you to change the world? What fear is keeping you from trusting God and stepping out in faith? We all want a life that's safe and comfortable. Uh, but today we want to pray and say, Lord, I, I want to tell you, this is what's keeping me back. This is what's holding me on the shore. This is what's keeping me from leaping out for that bar. And so let's bow and let's pray. And I want you to take a moment and maybe just begin with these words. Lord, take my life. Take my life. All of it, I surrender it to you. And I surrender my fears to you. And tell them, I, 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 I trust you to save me. I trust you to lead me. And the fear that's keeping you from growing, from chasing his promise, from cha- that act of obedience that you know he's calling you to, that what he's calling you to start, what he's calling you to stop, just confess that to him and say, Lord, give me strength. Give me faith. Give me faith. The fear that's keeping you from sowing with generosity, confess that to him and say, Lord, give me faith. Give me the faith of the Macedonians. The fear that's keeping you from going and joining him and changing the world. Maybe even when you heard the call to Mexico, you thought, oh, I should do that, but I don't know. Confess your fear and say, Lord, give me faith. Give me faith. Take a moment to turn those things over to the Lord and then we'll, we'll sing.